Say amen if you've enjoyed worship this morning. Amen. Amen. Boy, I have. The God of angel armies is standing by my side. Are you kidding me? That is such a truth that if you're just yawning and stretching and turning the next page and somehow that didn't light on your heart, I would just encourage you to sing it again. Maybe we could sing it again at the end. (laughs) Oh, that song. The God of angel armies is standing by our side. I, um, I came, I started to say I came bouncing down the stairs, but it was like early in the morning, so there wasn't too much bounce. But earlier this morning, I came down the stairs, and I came in here, and it was kind of stuffy in here. It was just the air was a little bit stale, and I opened the door thinking, well, I'll open the door, and I thought, well, I don't know if that's safe or not, because nobody's actually in here, and I was going to go back upstairs for a little bit. Um, but I opened the door, and Joetta was out there walking Jack, and so we had a little bit of uh, exchange, and she said, oh, you know what, I'll open up the doors when I come in. So that fresh air you're breathing is thank you to Joetta. Thank you for opening the doors this morning. But that little exchange got me thinking how every Sunday we gather, and just like the physical air around us can become stale or mundane or old and we need to open the windows and the doors and get a fresh flow of air through there. So it is with the Spirit of God and with our Bibles. And so um, let's make it our prayer this morning that as we open the Word and as the Word has already been opened, as we look at it, that somehow in the way that God does, that's really quite a mystery I don't know how God does what God does, but that he would make the stale air that sometimes is hanging out in our spirits just turn to fresh air. And that the wind of his spirit would just blow through us and open our eyes again to the wonder of his love. So we're in Matthew, uh, as the scripture was so beautifully read for us this morning. And I brought my 40-pound Bible. I heard that the bigger your Bible is, the better a preacher you are. So I'm hoping that works this morning. This particular one um, has, I had to double-check to make sure that I actually had uh, Matthew 8 in it because my dog, when she was younger, took devouring the word quite literally. And so there are um, some pages missing I think there's some psalms missing. David would not be happy, the the psalmist David. Um, But Matthew 8 is actually present and alive and well in my Bible, which is is a good thing. Uh, So I wanted to um, just kind of walk through the text that was read for us. It's such a short story. There's not a lot of embellishment in the story of the leper coming to Jesus. It's really just a quick, quick story. So at first glance, um, there's, a, there's a few things that we can just see that might be worth noting. Uh, Matthew starts out saying, when Jesus came down from the mountain. So um, if we look back in the chapters prior to this, we can see that Jesus was uh, was in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we get the, the mountain that he was on. And it's kind of funny. They didn't, their mountains weren't like our mountains. This was not, Jesus wasn't up on Mount Rainier. 
it was like maybe just a little bit more of a rolling hill, you know, kind of thing. But, but, their mount, but he was up on this mountain really just explaining to people how to enter the kingdom of God, how to make the kingdom of God real, how God makes the kingdom of God real in and through us. And this is um, the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's come, he comes down from the mountain, and large crowds were following him. And in the middle of this, this guy with leprosy comes and approaches him. And leprosy, um, we kind of have an idea in our culture. We don't really have the disease too much. But um, in, in the biblical use of the word, it could, could be a wide array of skin diseases. But it was a skin deformity, a skin disease that was considered highly contagious and very, very unclean in... Uh, in many senses of the word. Uh, so this man came, and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches out his hand and touched him, and immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. The man's statement is really, really interesting because he doesn't say, Lord, if you're able, would you? Would you do this for me? He assumes God is able. He's very aware of, God's, of, of, of the power of Jesus. What he's not quite sure about is the goodness of Jesus. What he's not quite convinced about or not quite, uh, you know, the jury is still out in his mind. It's like I, I've seen, because Matthew tells us earlier, uh, here, chapter 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news, healing every disease and sickness. So, so there were other healings and diseases. The word had spread, and Jesus had just come off the mountain. So the word had spread. That's how this guy probably knew. He knew Jesus had power. But he says, if you're willing, if you're willing, I know you could do this for me. Um, Jesus approaches him and reaches out and says, I am willing. And I don't know if you guys remember the scene when the leper approaches. Uh, the scene in The Chosen is, uh, is quite shocking. Like, we don't react to anybody that way in our culture. But it centers on this word unclean. And this man that approached them was unclean. And so when he approached Jesus, they were like, <gasps> get back. I'm knocking over furniture. They were like, get back. Get, you know, get him away. Get him away. Don't touch him. Jesus, stand back. And they were all like protective and fear-driven and just like, this can't happen. This man is unclean. So there's, there's these two words in, um, two words in verse 2 two words in two, that, that I th think this whole passage really centers on. And it is, they are the words clean and the word willing. Clean and willing. Um, if I was cool enough, and if my Bible was big enough so I was a good enough preacher, I would have had some kind of really catchy sermon title. So at the end of this, if anybody has a good sermon title for this, let me know. It'll be too late to post it, but it'll be fun anyway. <laughs> but it would be something to do with those two words, clean and willing, clean and willing. Um, so that, those are the things that we can see 
right at, at, at the front of the story, right? We can see that this man was unclean. This man was a leper. He came to Jesus, knowing Jesus's power. Jesus touches him, makes him whole, makes him well, which was an astounding thing. And, um, and so at first glance, what we get from this passage is what? A pretty good feeling about Jesus. If, if anybody didn't know if, if the story of Jesus, that he was an awesome uh, person and a healer and just a good guy, this would definitely do that. And, that. and that Jesus had compassion. There's so many things we can read in this. Um, backing up just a little bit, pick up a thought. This is the first Matthew chose this story as the first story to tell of a personal interaction with details of Jesus' immense compassion for human beings. As I read, in the, uh, prior to this, it's, there were many healings. There were other times Jesus did things. But this is the first story. This is the story that Matthew chooses to introduce Jesus as both willing and able. So if we dive a little deeper, just one, one level under, um, we can pick up a few other things from the text that we might not see just on the surface. So to do this, let's think back on what we know about the Old Testament story. So kind of in the Bible project, kind of quick, you know, Skip through, the, skip through the Old Testament. Um, we started out with a beautiful garden home, right? We had this beautiful garden home. We messed it up, and we brought hell on earth with our, 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 our self-centeredness and our wanting to do things on our own. We bring hell on earth, um, and we messed things up. God raises up Abraham, and through his family, dis- has, has chosen um, Abraham's family to, to, to bring blessing and restoration to humankind. Forward some more chapters and some more books, and the children of Israel end up in, I know I'm missing a lot. I can hear, see Terry going, wait, wait, there's, oh, and this, and this, and this. <laughs> but in the interest of being <laughs> brief, and also um, because I just don't know all the details, um, we, skipping, skipping forward to Moses. So um, the children of Israel, after, after Abraham, find themselves in slavery, find themselves in a time of slavery under the great big bad guy in Egypt. And then uh, God raises up Moses, right, to lead the people out of slavery. Moses leads the people. They're out in the wilderness for a while. They end up at the foot of the mountain, of a mountain, and it's here at, at the foot of another mountain in, in the story that God chooses to enter into a covenant with them to establish his presence in their midst. It is God saying to the people through Moses, I want to be present with you. 
I want to journey with you. I always have, but I, but, I, but I want you to see me. I want you to know me. I want to be tangible and real in your midst. So two things came out of that. Many things came out of that. But in short, um, God's presence was contained or signified in a box and a tent. Okay? So the box is out in our driveway right now, <laughs> or a replica of the box. We have, a, we have a lovely Ark of the Covenant. I think we're announcing to West Seattle what a, what a sound uh, Old Testament church we are or something. I don't know. Some people put crosses on their churches. We just put out the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, it's, um, I, think, I think it's being adopted by a local drama department. That's what we're hoping. We don't want to throw it away. It's such a beautiful thing. It's, it's really a neat thing. But we have the, the Ark of the Covenant they had. And then what did they have also that they brought the Ark into that signified God's, God's presence? Anybody know what it was called? Holy of Holies was the inside of the temple, and as they traveled, their temple, and their te the temple certainly signified God's presence, and it was the tabernacle. If, say it again. The tent of meeting. So we had the tent that was God's presence and the box that they carried around with them that signified God's presence as well. Holiness, as we often think of it, in our current context, we slip into this, this thing where holiness kind of uh, equals morality. And, you know, we say things like, oh, he thinks he's so holy. Or, you know, she thinks she's this or that. Or we, we, we think like, oh, I haven't been very holy this week. I haven't been very, you know, abided by moral principles. But holiness in the Hebrew sense, okay, I'm going to tell you a word. I feel so smart when I say this word. I hope I can say it right. It is kadash. Okay, everybody say it with me. That's a cool word. Come on. Kadash. Yep. And kadash meaning holy, was to be like one of a kind, completely unique, or we talk about this quite frequently in our church circles, set apart. So to be holy was to be unlike something else, and to be holy was to be set apart and completely unique. Um, in Numbers chapter 5, uh, it was laid out for them three specific things that made you unholy. Three specific things that made you unable to enter into the holiness of God. Because when we talk about the tent of meeting where God's presence was, they were very protective of that. And it was their way of honoring God's presence. It sounds very exclusive and rigid and out of touch to us. But we need to remember the cultural reality of Scripture as well and be willing to travel in time back to their culture and their understanding. And God chose to reveal his presence and 
shower his presence through their understanding of of how things were. So they protected this holy place, and you weren't allowed to go in if you had a skin disease, sexual body, bodily fluids, or contact with a dead body. That's Numbers 5, Numbers chapter 5. If you, were, if you had a skin disease, sexual body fluids, or uh, contact with a dead body, you were not allowed to go in. So I don't know, you know, I'm trying to think of some places in our culture today that are off limits that we can't go into. And the one I thought of, that, and this analogy breaks down all over the place, but it was a football field. If you go to a Seahawk game this fall and you just <laughs> decide that you'd like to meander down onto the field, there will be somebody that tells you no because there's a sense in which that Seahawk field is holy. It is set apart for a specific thing, for the presence of Russell Wilson and his team. It is set apart. It is, it is made for a specific thing, and, uh, and we are not allowed. Another one that maybe is a little bit uh, more clear, it would be a, a, a hospital. We go to hospitals, right? Um, we, we visit there to, to visit other people or sometimes when we are sick. But um, I remember taking um, Jaden when he had his, um, well, actually, several times, Jaden. <laughs> but the one I'm thinking of was the stitches on your hand. And um, not just anybody could walk into the surgical room. You know, because you would bring dirt or, you know, something on your hands or germs under your fingernails or, you know, maybe you stepped in something ucky out in the parking lot and you just can't go tromping into a surgical room because that surgical room is holy in a sense and, and set apart for, uh, for healing purposes and uh, restoration of life purposes and stitching up four-year-olds who ram themselves into uh, a clay pot purposes. So it's, it's a set-apart kind of place, and we, um, and we can't just bring in. So they protect that, right? So in the, in the same kind of sense, um, the Israelites protected the presence of God, and you couldn't just walk into that place, especially um, with skin disease, sexual body fluids, or contact. Um, it seems kind of weird to us. It's hard to understand because we talk about come one, come all um, to God. Let me um, show you really quickly through another scripture in my 40-pound Bible. Uh, and follow me with this one just a little bit. Um, and this is Isaiah 6. And this will give a little bit of background to how the Israelites got to where they're at. Let me just read this. This is Isaiah, and he had this, this dream or this vision. This really, it's really pretty wild and crazy, actually, sounding. In the year, this is Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two with, wing, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, 
holy, 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 kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I mean, just allow yourself to sit in that for a minute. That's magnificent, and that is terrifying. Like, earthquakes are happening, and these seraphim, and we, I don't know if you, but I always kind of think of angelic-type creatures. Seraphim is like a serpent. So this, it's, this, it's a reptile kind of creature with many wings, and he's they're flying around saying, holy, holy, and then everything starts shaking, and then there's smoke everywhere. I mean, what a weird vision. That is just like wild. But in the midst of this, Isaiah realizes that he is unclean in some deeper ways than just being dirty to my knowledge, he didn't have a skin disease, hadn't touched a dead body, but, but he realized that his life was unclean, and the people he lived with, his world, his culture, his, his lifestyle was just messed up and broken. And so he's like, oh, man. Here I am in the presence of God. I have brought uncleanness into the, into the inner, what did you call it? Tent of meeting. I've brought unholiness into the tent of meeting. This is, this is not okay. And then in the midst of that, one of these lizard, flying lizard things, these seraphim, comes at him with a hot burning coal. How many of you guys have been to a barbecue or watched, you know, a coal burn on a campfire? And so this burning coal is coming at his mouth. He's going, ouch, this is like, I'm, he probably just thought this is the end. I'm just going to fry right here. This is going to be it. This is how it goes. Because he thought that his uncleanness would undo the holiness of God, right? He thought his brokenness would break God's holiness. And what happened was the exact opposite that he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live, in a, I live in a mess. So now I've brought mess into God's presence, and everybody knows God can't deal with mess. But the seraphim comes and touches him, and he becomes clean, and he becomes new, and the fresh wind of God's Spirit blows through his old debris. And it's not his sin that's contagious. It's God's holiness that is contagious. Isaiah 6. Jumping back then into our text quickly. The reaction of those disciples as 
the and the women that were there as the as the leper was approaching was just sheer horror like uncleanness and it was probably both uncleanness like you're going to defile us personally i don't want to catch what you have but also unclean dude you are supposed to be on the outskirts you are not supposed to be mingling with god's holy people and so they were alarmed and they were scared but jesus wasn't he wasn't alarmed and he wasn't scared and what actually happened was that jesus in that moment made isaiah's vision a reality that in the presence of uncleanness in the presence of unholiness in the presence of brokenness of fear of shame of sin it's jesus reaching out through that and saying i'm willing i'm willing and bringing the healing and the wholeness that god doesn't after all hang out behind stained glass that leviticus isn't the end of the story the compassion the self-sacrifice the cruciform love of jesus christ on the cross that's the whole story i think somewhere in our past we've all heard um, that thing that goes something like God is holy and so he can't be in the presence of sin. And the problem with that is that it's a partial, it's a partial truth. It's not the whole truth. And Jesus tells the whole truth. And the whole truth is I am willing and I desire and I'm reaching toward your brokenness to be in your world and to make God's presence real outside of its expected boundaries. And that's the message of the gospel that we have wrapped up for us in Matthew. So as we, um, as we come to the table this morning and as we're coming to take the cup and the bread give thanks to god for his reaching his compassion and his complete love for our brokenness and i don't know where you're at in your head or what story you have about your own life um, whether it's I'm too broken, I've had too many chances, I've, I'm too prideful, I don't know. It's all okay. Jesus says, I am willing. And the cross tells the full story.
Thanks be to God.